Wake up. Hi, my name is Cassandra White. I am a obstetrician gynecologist. I am a licensed physician and surgeon. Uh, I focus on women's health uh, between obstetrics and gynecology. Uh, I have had the opportunity to work in many community organizations uh, where we focus on uh, challenging the health disparities that exist. Much of my work has gone beyond clinical medicine into community advocacy. So much of my time has also uh, been working and developing partnerships with many community organizations, either through youth programs or particularly women's health programs. My time continues to focus on where can I bring the most impact in, in terms of not just my profession, uh, but also as an individual. Uh, so I, you know, I'm looking forward to the, what the future holds and continuing to work with not only BLX, but also um, all the entities that are looking to bring value to uh, what our community needs. Thank you. Hello. Hi. Welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. I am so excited to have Dr. White. Okay. Yeah, that, that's who you are? I, th that is me. You earned it. <laughs> <laughs> um, why don't you tell the folks a little bit about who you are? Mm. Well, I born and raised right here in the Bay Area. Right. Um, you know, I, I had a single parent household mm -hmm. um, and really thrived off the sense of community and village mm. to be able to get to where I am now at right. this point in place. Right. Yeah. So tell me about your money know-how. My money know-how. Where did it start? Um, you know, I think about growing up mm. that you know, we were in a situation where we only knew how to survive. Right. We were trying to go day by day. Mm -hmm. um, my mother was working every day, ends me. Um, I had a great grandfather that was big on just saving, mm. but never really understood what it meant to thrive and create wealth, I think. Mm. How he valued money. Um, you know, he, he would always have this phrase a penny makes a nickel, a nickel makes a dime, a dime makes a quarter and goes beyond. So he'd always mm. save, save your money. Mm. He was one to bury his money in the backyard, <laughs> um, which, was, which was something that we thought about whenever you get some sort of money, either from birthdays or Christmas presents, save your money. Um, I think about a, a time when I was growing up when my mother didn't have daycare. She did have a boyfriend that worked mm. for the Oakland Airport, and what he would have me, well, what she would do is have me go with him to work. Mm -hmm. And I was maybe about seven years old, Yeah. and I could not stand it, because there was no kids, there wasn't anything <laughs> for me to do, so what I had to look at was how do I, how do I take what I have around me and mm. make it work for me? Right. Uh, and I think that's that's just being in the type of environment and space where you didn't have much, but you but you use what you did have. And so those moments that I think about 
what I what I was creating in terms of some sense of money sense was how can I capitalize on being at this Oakland airport? So I started noticing that travelers were going to the cart station. And the cart mm -hmm. station is where they would rent the carts for 75 cents. Mm -hmm. And it was a way that they could put all their luggage on the okay. cart and take the cart to okay, the car. Yeah. So what I would do is I would approach the travelers and say, hey, can I help you push the cart to your car? And how could they say no? <laughs> so I would push, help them push the cart to their car, but I knew that once they were finished with the cart, they didn't want to go back into the Oakland airport to return the cart. Oh. So that's where I came in and I said, well, I'll take it back for you. And just because they thought I was being a good kid and, and a nice gesture, yeah. sometimes they would tip me. Yeah. <laughs> but the other focus was I wanted to get back that 25 cents a return for each car. Oh. So it worked out well. So, <laughs> so there I think about this particular time where I began to think about how can I make things work for myself? How can I find a solution to a problem? Mm. But I also was making money at seven right. years old. Right. So, um, so that, that's something I think even today. Mm that I carry with me in terms of decision-making and, and where problem-solving can be beneficial for all of us. Right, right. Don't discount those starter roles. No. I mean, my dad um, owned a gas station, and when I was like seven, eight, I was a cashier. Wow. And I was, we didn't have no calculators, and you know, I was counting money back. There you go. There you, you know? Go. I mean, you know, customer service, being able to count money mm -hmm. is mm -hmm. a skill set. It is. It that is. a lot of people right. um, still trying to learn how to do. Um, and when it comes to money, food, and health, people right. like, people don't play with that. Right. Right. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. um, so let's talk about your profession. Mm -hmm. You know, um, how did you know you wanted to be... A medical doctor. Yeah, it, it came from, <clears throat> and again, growing up with this sense of curiosity mm -hmm. and asking questions. You know, wondering why there were people in places that had and those that did not have. Mm. Um, then I also think about the experiences with seeing how my grandmother was treated when she went to the hospital. Mm the care that she did not receive, mm. the frustration, right? Uh, the conversations that mm. took place when we would come home, that, that made me question how is the system working and not working. And that, right. that was most likely the initial mm. desire to become a physician. As far as going into women's health, that has again had to do with the thought of why am I seeing teenage pregnancy? Why mm. is my best friend with two kids in high school. You know, what is, what is the reasoning for that? Is there some sense of where there's a lacking of education and mm. our, our, our bodies that we may not have been given? So mm. that opened my eyes to the direction of working into women's health and, and becoming an OBGYN. Mm. Um, and yeah, that's, that's a big part of why I do what I do is education. Right, mm -hmm. right. And then talk about um, 
So you went to UC Davis. Yes. Aggies in the house. Yeah, Aggies. Mm -hmm. They here. Yeah, yeah. It was close, close to the bay, <laughs> but very different. <laughs> yeah, you had a non-HBCU experience. No. We call it totally. PWI. <laughs> Predominantly <laughs> white institution. Yes, that is exactly what it was—the two percent that existed at UC Davis uh, that held many challenges. Yeah, but also was a subset of what most of this environment looks like. Right. Especially right. if we're thinking of investments and things of that sort, yeah. medicine of that mm. sort. Where's Where's that representation? So that was the first um, challenges of education that that I experienced. Mm. Mm. So let's talk about your journey, journey to angel investing. Did you know about it? How'd you find out about it? No, nobody told you nothing. Nothing. Had <laughs> had no idea. No, I didn't. Angel, no. You you would notice like how how is this person driving that nice car or how how are these people wearing these nice clothes? Mm. So again, asking those questions like what do you do? Yeah, right. I think there's a show out there where there's this guy that goes up to different people who are driving these nice cars and he asks them what do you do for a living. So I was that little perp, that kid, mm. because because and it wasn't so much about materialistics but just understanding. The economics, how how those again the haves have nots in that sense. Um, so once I finished residency, I began looking into different opportunities to take part in different companies, mm -hmm. uh, and it was more focused on there were things that I liked and I thought that were great concepts. Mm -hmm. Did I know there was a term for it? No, absolutely not. Mm -hmm. uh, but it, but again, it was just my chance to be a part of something that I thought was really a, a great um, idea or a mm -hmm. great company that could show potential growth. So knowing the terms, the terminology, absolutely had no idea, no mm -hmm. idea. But it was something I had been, had been doing at least after residency. Mm. Mm -hmm. So how do you spot out um, a good company for investment? Uh, I, I typically pay attention to uh, what I call are the, the I's, as in the letter I's. Mm. So I look at what is the uh, intent. So mm. what, what is, I, again, what is the intent? What is the goal of the company? I look at the inclusivity. Mm. So what is the makeup of the work, the workforce? What is the makeup of the board? Uh, the other is the impact. So what is, what, what, how does it affect those in our community? How does it affect mm. the service? How does it affect the market? Um, um, and then obviously as an investor, you think about what is the investing piece? What is the ultimate mm. return? What is the incentive? That, that it gets. So those are ideally the questions that I ask myself mm. um, and then ask of the, the organization or the company. And a lot of times they don't have all those uh, pieces. Like there's, they're, they're may not in line with a social impact, but they may provide great services to some type of niche or whatnot. Right, right. Um, so, but th those are ideally things that I pay attention to. Yeah, I love that concept, the eyes. The eyes. The better <laughs> eyes. It's my little thing. 
So tell me about your investments. So one of them that I really have taken uh, great interest with, and which is the reason why I decided to become an investor, it was a company called Bridge to College. A friend of mine who I went to high school with, she was born and raised here in the Bay Area, um, she's now she's an educator, um, decided to create this, uh, it's, it's, it's a algorithm that helps students match to a college institution, but match on the lines that are geared to making sure that school is affordable mm. um, and also looking at making sure that they have an environment that's supportive of their needs, and which, which are important because that leads to retention. They're more than likely to go ahead and finish college and get their degrees as opposed to just either staying longer or dropping out. Mm -hmm. um, so she created Bridge to College to really focus on that and using technology to do that. So working with schools um, and universities uh, is where she, her focus is, at least with the company. So using technology and education hand in hand. I love it. Well, let's talk about that connection because a lot of angel investing is done in network, right? True, true. So you've known her since high school. Yes, yes. <laughs> you know what she's capable of. You know, know her she's work ethic, ethic, exactly. So it's probably easier for you to write a check. It was, it was, but it's still for me. I've always, I've always known that personal versus business. That yeah. those are two separate entities. And, and for me, I love to keep it separate. But yes, knowing that sh her work ethic, uh, it still took some time. Mm -hmm. It wasn't automatic. Right. It still took some, some discussions, some phone calls uh, to really find out you know, how, how she was continuing to make Bridge to College strong and, mm -hmm. and uh, what her ultimate goal was. And so, so there were there were many meetings. Though, though we you, you asked the questions, all the eye questions, all the eye questions, all the eye questions. <laughs> Did your due diligence, and then and that was it, you know. And it met all those eyes, it, right? You know, in terms of inclusivity, mm -hmm. impact, mm -hmm. what her intent was, and then the investment piece, obviously the return on investment. So, um, all those were laid out, and plus, I mean, who like education. Right. This is this right. is what's key, and even for me growing up, and for her also, you know, we didn't have control of our environment, mm -hmm. but we subsequently had control of our education, and for for both her and I, we did not go to HBCUs, so right. we went to colleges that we were the two percent. So going to being the two percent in these the non HBCU colleges were some challenges. And those are some of the things that we shared in, mm -hmm. in discussing before the actual investment was made, was that I wish we had this type of tool uh, for when we were looking for colleges to go to. It could have saved us money, it right. could have saved us time. Right. Well, I, you know, a lot of people ask me, you know, my cousin and them, and them, and them <laughs> starting something. Stop. <laughs> You know, people hear you writing checks. Oh. Everybody come calling. Yeah, no, we don't. Yeah. We don't just go for the okie doke like that. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, there's criteria. There, there is. There is a level of um, every business is not a venture. 
And it's totally right. fine to be yes. a small business. Absolutely. A mom and pop. Absolutely. There's many types of businesses that exist. Absolutely. You know, and one thing, particularly with black women, is that, you know, when black women start going this route into venture capital, they end up with less than 5% equity in their companies. Right? It gets so, diluted. It gets diluted. So, right. 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 And explain the process of dilution. Oh, wow. Yes. I'm so, sure there's a medical term, but an investing term. Yeah. So, it's interesting. I, so, I do a lot of community advocacy mm -hmm. work. And I, I work, you know, not only the clinical work, but also working with many community partnerships and seeing the strength in each of the organizations. So I've always felt like there there is strength in numbers. Mm. Okay? Um, but you have to be on the same page. Like okay. what is that common goal? Because otherwise then what happens is you end up diluting your strength. Mm. And so mm. let's now take it to investments that, you know, if you start having too many Come right. In, right. And you really don't have a strong plan in place in terms of right. or or organization, transparency, making things very clear and looking at your numbers, then you can find yourself not holding or not having much ownership within the company that you created. Right. And the detriment is that when black founders have an exit and acquisition, they still got to go to work the next day. Absolutely. <laughs> right. They're not. You know, like, oh, I'm a billionaire, millionaire, I'm just going to be an angel investor now, VC. No. Mm -hmm. It's like, oh, I got a new job. I mean, that paid a car note. Right. <laughs> and you're still in the same position. Exactly. And those are just, again, the hurdles at which, you know, I think investing, and this is why what you've been able to create mm -hmm. is so strong and valuable because it brings in, it's, it's, it's transformative. Mm. Uh, but transformative in a positive light uh, and then also brings value to the venture capitalist space. Yeah. I still also, I'm still learning. I still, like, I right. didn't know, like I said, we didn't know what angel investor terminology was. I didn't know what VC was. I just was knowing that there was just plenty of money going into spaces that wasn't ours. Right. 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 Mm -hmm. Or that we were... I would say non-financially investing mm -hmm. in companies that weren't investing in us. We were helping people build their companies right. without equity. In return. <laughs> right? right? And this is 40 acres and a mule. Right. We said to him, get some, we didn't get, we didn't it. get it. We didn't make it. Yeah. And we can't build. I right. mean, it's debilitating. It is. It is. And and tomorrow is what, the hundredth anniversary of the Tulsa race mm. massacre. Right. So as we're having this conversation, it's high.